If I'll remind you of where we've been as we continue to see where we're going, um, and we have a great opportunity for this morning and tonight, actually both, uh, both times we're going to be in this series that we've been going through, and we will finish it up this, uh, this evening as we come together for Christmas Eve. Uh, and uh, the series we've been going through, because I know we have some visitors here, maybe some out-of-town friends and, we, and family, and we're so happy that you're here. So I'll give you a little bit of a recap where we've been. Uh, we've been going through a series called The Heralds of Christmas. The Heralds of Christmas. Who is it and what is it that has told us about Christmas's coming? That Jesus, born as a baby, the Messiah, would be born uh, to this world. And that the Messiah would be born and who and what has been heralding this or foretelling this to us. And so far in the weeks we've looked at, we've looked at uh, the creation itself, the very beginning of all time, the very beginning of all things that we know, uh, really was a herald of the coming Messiah. And everything was created to be perfect, and that the Messiah, the Son of God, was present in creation, and that the Son of God was indeed the Creator along with the whole Godhead. And we see that as that creation then was perfect, then man sinned, and the world was put into disorder and disarray, and sin destroyed and cursed this world. And we took a minute to see then that in Genesis, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, and we see it end all the way here in Revelation at the end, that throughout all of Scripture, we see that the Messiah would be born to restore creation to what it should be. That the Messiah would take what was once perfect, that now has been put into darkness and put, and put into suffering and been put into pain and would take all of those away and one day restore all things to the way they should be, the way they originally were, and that the Messiah would be the one to do that. And we took some time to, of course, shine some light on the fact that this Messiah was none other than Jesus Christ himself as he's born in, the, uh, in Bethlehem and then lives his life to the point where he will one day fully restore everything. That right now he has reconciled us and he is reconciling the world through us. But one day it will be fully reconciled, fully restored as he sits on his throne. Which led us into the the next sermon was this idea of a throne. And we started looking at the Old Testament prophets. And that throughout the Old Testament we saw so many prophecies that told us ahead of time. In some cases 600 years ahead of time. In some cases even longer than that. That a Messiah was prophesied a messiah was said to come as king one who would rule on the throne of david but not just rule an earthly kingdom but would rule an everlasting kingdom that christ would be king over all and then as a part two of that sermon we saw that this king the messiah king who was none other than jesus christ as we looked at scripture also was not only just a king but really was an undercover king that would come as a king, yes, and would eventually rule all the world but, and have an everlasting kingdom. But in to gain that everlasting kingdom, he would become a suffering servant. We looked at Isaiah 53, and we saw that the Messiah will not just be a king that will ride in and take over. That it won't just be a king that will deliver everybody from all their oppressors as soon as he comes. He rides in on a white horse in a royal family, but instead he would live a humble life. One that started by being born in in a stable and laid in a manger, a humble life that began there and would continue on through his whole life as he was mocked and rejected and scorned and eventually killed. And he would suffer all those things and we see that there was no question that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the Messiah that we saw in Isaiah 53. 
And so we saw the prophets then in two different ways heralding this same Messiah, that this king that would come would come as a suffering servant. And so what we've seen so far is very simple, that the advent or the coming of the Messiah has been foretold from even the beginning of time and has continued throughout the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament, you will see just time and time again all of these prophecies that describe the coming Messiah as king, as suffering servant, as one who would die, as one who would save people from their sins. We see that throughout the Old Testament. And so we know that this has been building up and building up and they've been heralding Christmas And today, as we celebrate Christmas Eve together, we move to the New Testament and we see the next herald of Christmas. We see the next one or ones that would herald the coming of the Messiah. And we're going to indeed look at what we typically would think of as the herald of Christmas. And we typically think of this because of many of our Christmas carols, right? Uh, Hark the herald angels sing. Angels from the realms of glory, angels we have heard on eye, and on and on and on. And we know that we sing stories of the angels proclaiming the birth of the Messiah, the angels proclaiming Jesus Christ to come as the Messiah. And, in, and this is what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to take some time to look at angels, and we'll see it in Matthew. Uh, the scriptures tell us how the angels heralded Christ, but they heralded Christ as the Savior. So, so far we've seen Christ heralded as the restorer. We've seen him uh, heralded as the king. We've seen him heralded as the suffering servant. And now it all comes together as we see the angels declaring and heralding Christ, the Messiah, as the Savior. We see this to be true in both the Christmas narratives in Matthew and in Luke, and we'll look at both of those today. And as we look at those passages of that first Christmas when Jesus was born, we will see that indeed he was born to be the savior of the world. Not just a baby that we have fun singing songs about, but the savior of the world, the deliverer of the world. Now I know we have a lot of different ideas about angels And we're going to talk a lot about the angels today, but after we get done talking about what they declared, then we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to see that Scripture backs up exactly what the angels said, because here's something I want to make sure that we know as we go into this, because, you know, a few weeks back, I made fun of Hallmark movies, right? I'm not, I'll I'll let up on that, all right? I've watched a few now, and they're not so bad, but um, a lot of them have, like, it amazes me how many of them have angels in it, and how many different views of angels there are. You know, there are angels that, of course, die. There are people who die and then they come back as angels. There are just random angels. There's different ideas of how angels come about and how they earn their wings and how they earn their, their way. And you know what? It's, it, it's kind of a fun thought, right? It's, it's, it's kind of an encouraging thing. Angels are watching over us and all of those things. And although that is true, I want to point out what angels really do and who angels really are. They are messengers that were created by God to bring messages to people. To protect people, yes, we know that. You know, the guardian angel idea, uh, not, although not specific in Scripture, we do see that angels are given guard over us to protect and help us, sure. But ideally and mostly what we see throughout Scripture, when angels show up, it's for one reason. When angels show up, it's to give a message. It's to give a message for people to hear, a message, though, not of their own making, but a message from God himself. And so even though all these movies, and I laugh a little bit because some of these angels, it's like their purpose in life is to make two people fall in love. And it's like, okay, that, that's nice, right? It's, it's nice, but it's not what angels are about, right? The angels are not there 
They're not Cupid, right? The angel is not Cupid that comes and says, all right, I, that my goal so that I can make it to heaven is to make two people fall in love. And then you've got angels that are falling in love with people too, which is always weird. So there's, so I made fun of Hallmark movies even not meaning to. But here's the idea though. We think about angels, but as we think about angels this morning, I don't, I want to get, just clear all that out of your mind. Angels are not dead people who are now trying to get their wings. They're not people that are trying to make you fall in love with somebody. They're not, uh, so they're not there for that. What the angels are for is what we see here in both Matthew and in Luke. They are to give a message. They are to herald one thing. They are to point to Jesus. Angels point to God. That's what they do. We don't worship angels. We don't treat them as extra special because they are simply created by God just as we are. And so we look at angels and what is their purpose? Their purpose is to herald things. Their purpose is to proclaim things, to tell us things. And in this sense, we look at how they will proclaim Christ as Savior. So let's look at these three narratives. Let's look at the, uh, there's two narratives, but one, there's two different passages in, in uh, Luke that we're going to look at. And we're going to go in chronological order, so we're going to start in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we see this first angel that appears in the story, as we're told about this first Christmas. And in Luke 1, 26 through 35, that's where we find ourselves. Luke 1, 26 through 35. Many of you know this by heart. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David. And, to the, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am just a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, a child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your uh, relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And so we see that, and we're going to stop there because it can continue on, and we'll read the whole story uh, tonight. But we see this idea that an angel, first of all, heralds the Christ, has heralded the Christ to Mary. And remember, when I say the word Christ, it's the same word as Messiah. Christ is the Greek, uh, and Messiah is the Hebrew. Same person, the anointed one, the one who would come and rule and save the world. And so Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, we are told here, heralded Christ to Mary. And just as a summary, I'm not, you know, I just read this so you guys can get this, but we see this very true statement come as this angel comes to bring a message from God. And what does he say? He says, Mary, a virgin, would give birth to the Messiah. It's a f- fulfillment of Scripture. We've seen it in the Old Testament that this would be how the Messiah would be born, would be born of a virgin. And the angel comes and tells Mary that this is going to happen and she's the virgin. She's the one that is going to give birth to the Messiah. And we see she's a little, she's a little afraid at first. Obviously, you're seeing an angel, right? This is, an, this is a big deal. She's an angel and the angel calms her down, but the angel tells her some important things. 
So she would give birth to the Messiah, and how we know that that's what he's saying is in this, in this passage, he says the child would be the son of the Most High. The son of the Most High is the son of God. Uh, the son of God would be known to Mary, who was uh, a Hebrew woman, who was Jewish. She would have known that the son of God, the son of the Most High, was the reference to the Messiah. That's who this person would be. We also see that the child would be an everlasting ruler. Remember, we looked several weeks ago at Jesus as king. And as we think about that, Mary would have understood that exactly. When, when the angel tells her, look, this son that you're going to have, uh, he's going to be son of the Most High, but he's also going to have the throne of his father David and will reign of the house, over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary knew the Old Testament. She knew that this was the Messiah. This is what they've been waiting for. This is what everyone has been waiting for, for the Messiah to come, the king of the world. But in this time, when he's talking to Mary, Gabriel also is very careful to make sure he tells her what the whole reason would be. And we see this when he tells her that she would name this child Jesus, that she would name him Jesus. And why is this important? It's just a name. Well, to us, we don't fully grasp how important names were in Scripture. We've talked about this before. But your name defines everything who you are. Your name defines you. That is exactly how names are used. And so Gabriel tells Mary, you will name him Jesus. So what is so special about Jesus? Well, if you break it down, the word for Jesus literally means God saves. Literally, Yahweh saves. God saves, the God, the one, the I am saves. That Jesus would be the one, would be God who saves, that there would be a salvation, that the Messiah would bring salvation. The Messiah wasn't here to just become a king and to, uh, to get rid of all the oppressors of the Jews. That wasn't what the Messiah was here to do. The Messiah as king, and as we saw, even as a suffering servant, but the Messiah as king has come to save. He has come to bring salvation or deliverance. And many of that time thought that this Messiah was coming to deliver them from other people, to deliver them from the Romans, to deliver them from their constant constant uh, persecution that they would receive from all sorts of nations. And yet in the next passage that we go to, as we continue to talk about the heralds of the angels, the angels who are the heralds of Christmas, we see that this deliverance is not a physical deliverance from earthly enemies, but instead is a deliverance from sin. And with that being said, if we turn back to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, Another narrative of the birth of Christ. Same story, different perspective, right? And so from the book of Matthew in chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 20 through 21. And just a little bit of context. Mary has just told Joseph, and we'll actually start in 19, but Mary has told Joseph that she is pregnant. And Joseph is kind of freaking out because he knows that he hasn't slept with her, so he doesn't understand how she can be pregnant, and so therefore is considering what he should do with her. How should he put her away? How should he deal with this? Because his betrothed, the one who is pledged to him for life, in his mind had cheated on him. 
And this is what we see in verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see the second appearance of an angel. Most believe this was Gabriel. We see this angel is, is here, and the angel heralds the Christ to Joseph. Not only does an angel herald the Christ to Mary, but an angel heralds the Christ to Joseph. And what does he tell him when he talks with Joseph? Well, he says, Joseph will be the earthly father of the Messiah. As he just talked to Mary, right, about you're going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now he talks to Joseph, who will be the earthly father, not the biological father, not the the heavenly father, but the earthly father of the Messiah. And this is a big deal to Joseph. He would have known exactly what uh, the, the, the angel was talking about here. And here is the thing, as he already told Mary to name the child Jesus, the angel does the same thing here with Joseph. He would name him Jesus. He would name him Jesus, but here, not only does the angel tell Joseph, look, you're going to name him God saves. You're going to name him Jesus, Yahweh saves. You're going to do that, yes, but then he adds even more of a description, and he says this, you will name him God saves, you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The truth is obvious as we look to this, as the angel proclaims this to Joseph, that the one who would be born, Jesus Christ, would be the Savior, the Deliverer from sin. Not from the Romans, not from all the other nations that have been oppressing Israel, but from sin, the ultimate oppressor, the one that has destroyed all things. Going back, remember, to creation and how it was destroyed by sin and how it was cursed by sin. The greatest enemy of all mankind of any time and any place is sin. A propensity for us to do what is selfish and what we want to do for ourselves and a propensity to ignore God. That is what sin is. It's doing things that are against God's nature, against God's will to serve, our, our, to serve ourselves. That is what sin is, is to take things on our own and forget about God. It's to make things happen the way we want them to instead of considering what God would want. And so sin has crept into this world and that we know is true. And what does the angel say to Joseph? He says, the Messiah, the one who you will be the earthly father of, will save his people from their sins. The Savior was born on Christmas. The Savior was born as we celebrate Christmas. Not just a baby that would be any other human, but this would be the Messiah who would save. In case you're still wondering about this, we see one more time where the angels show up to herald Christ. And we see that back in the book of Luke. And by the way, we know that Joseph does marry Mary and, uh, and stays with her, and they do name him Jesus. So they, they obeyed the angel because they knew it was a message from God. And then we go back to the book of Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 2 now. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. 
This is right after we read the part where she gives birth to Jesus, wraps him in swaddling clothes, lays him in a manger because there's no place for them in the guest room. And we see that happening here in chapter 2. And then we go on in verse 8, and this is what happens. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And there's suddenly with the angel another, a whole multitude of the heavenly hosts proclaim, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on peace among those whom which he is pleased and on earth peace with whom he is pleased. Then the angels went, and from, went away from them into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see what this thing has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they go and they see the newborn babe. Interesting here, just as a side note real quick before I forget to say it, when the, when the shepherds go to see the Messiah, they say, we're going to do this which the Lord has made known to us. Notice he doesn't say that the angels have made known to us. Once again, remember, angels are just a reflection of who God is. Angels are simply a proclaimer of who God is and what his message is. And we know that even the shepherds understood that that message was from God himself. And so as we look at this, we're going to see this last piece as we see Jesus as the Savior. And there's no question there, right, as we look at this passage. Uh, there's no question that the Messiah will be a Savior. Indeed, what we read here is, it says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Once again, Christ is Messiah. So what is the angel saying? This angel is saying something very simple. The, the Savior and the Messiah are the same person. The Messiah you've been waiting for, the King, the Ruler, the Anointed One was here and He would save people. And we already know that He's going to be saving people from their sins. But here's something else we need to understand. The coming of the Messiah is not just good news for a few. It's not just good news for the shepherds. It's not just good news for the people in Bethlehem. It's not just good news for Jews. The coming of the Messiah is good news for everyone. Notice here as the angels proclaim to the shepherds. As the angels herald the Christ to the shepherds, this is what we see them say. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But before that, what do they say? They say, I bring you good, or he says, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all people. All people. The fact that the Messiah is Savior, which is the next point, the Messiah would be a Savior. I probably should have switched the points here, but the Messiah would be a Savior, but not just a Savior to a few, but a Savior to all. That all people will have access to this Savior. All people will be able to be delivered from their sin. It's not just for a few, but it's for the many. And that is the message of Christmas. That is the message of the angels. As the angels come to Mary, and as the angels come to Joseph, and as the angels then come to the shepherds, there is one common theme that runs through all of them, and that is this, that the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, that the Messiah would be the Savior of the world. That the Messiah was the coming of the Messiah was good news to all the world. With that as our backdrop, I want to take a few minutes 
As we've seen that the angels have heralded the coming Messiah as the Savior of all people, I want to finish our time together this morning by exploring a couple other passages in Scripture as it relates to Jesus Christ being the Savior. This was not isolated to just what the angels were saying. And remember, the angels declare the message of God. So it is this book that we hold, this holy word of God, the Bible that has been given to us and preserved to, for, uh, by, uh, to, for us by God. We know that we can see the message continue. The message didn't stop on that Christmas day, that Christmas night. It didn't stop there, but the message of Jesus as Savior to the world continued on as men wrote many things throughout Scripture as they were led by the Holy Spirit to, read, to, to write them. We see that God has gave, given us a message that Jesus indeed is the Savior. And so I want to take some time, and it won't take too long, but I want to look at a few verses as we consider Jesus as the Savior. Jesus as the Savior. First one I want to go to is 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see a truth again that Jesus is the Savior. There's no question In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this is what we read. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Jesus came to the world to save sinners. In other words, he came to save anyone and everyone who has ever lived. He came to save sinners. What I mean by that is you have sinned, I have sinned, your parents have sinned, your kids have sinned, your brother or sister has sinned, your friends have sinned, everyone has sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have gone our own way and turned our, way, turned our back on God at some point in our life and done something that is against his will or against what he would want us to do. And yet, so we've lived in this sin and so all of us are sinners and that's bad news. We've all sinned, and we know throughout Scripture that sin has to be dealt with. It has to be punished. Just like any good judge would have to punish a crime, God, as the perfect judge, has to punish sin. He has to punish our evil ways when we've turned away from Him and turned towards ourselves. And so He has to do that, and yet, so we're all destined towards this punishment, which is a separation from him forever because we can't be with him because we're not perfect. We have this sin. And yet we're told here in 1 Timothy 1.15 that sinners was who Jesus came to die for. He didn't come to die for the good people. He even said that as he was here. He didn't come to die for the people who thought they could do it on their own. Right? He died for sinners, people who knew and understood and know that they are far away from God. And that is why Jesus came as, as Savior, to save sinners. And the next passage I want to look at is in 1 John. So he came to save sinners, that much we know. How does he save sinners? Well, I think that is answered here in the book of 1 John. 1 John, um, oh, I didn't write a... We'll get here. No, we're in First John. That's where I want to be. Okay, I got it. All right, we're in. It's starting in. Uh, okay, so we are in First John chapter four. Sorry, I missed the chapter, guys. Uh, chapter four, verse ten, and then verses fourteen through fifteen. We'll probably just read ten through fifteen. So here we go. This is what it says in First John four ten through fifteen. 
And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world." Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We could continue reading that passage. It's a beautiful passage, and I even read more than I thought I would. But as we look to that, we see one very real point, and we see this in the middle of it, right? It says Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's what we're told. There's no question about that. And it's in verse 14 where it says, We have seen and testify the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. It backs up everything we've already looked at. Jesus came to the world to save sinners. We saw that. Okay, now Jesus died to be the propitiation for the sin of the world. Now, there's probably only one person, okay, there's probably more, but there's one person in this room that probably loves that word because he gets a very high score on Scrabble with it. Uh, propitiation, right? That's a big word. And it's used in Scripture, so I don't want to get away from that word, but I want to take a minute to describe what that means. When first John, in First John, where John writes this, and he's being inspired by God to write these words that Jesus died to be the propitiation for the sin of the whole world, what does that mean? Well, some have said that it's a substitution, and it is that, but it's even more. Really, what propitiation means is this, that he bore the wrath of God for us and bought us favor with God. It's the whole gospel message. Propitiation, he bore the wrath that was due us. He took the punishment from God that was due to us. Remember, we are sinners and therefore we deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve to be separated from God forever because we have sinned. And yet when we're told that Jesus came to die for sinners, he came to save sinners, how does he do that? He does that by being the propitiation for our sin. That he takes the wrath upon himself. That he takes God's holy wrath upon himself. That he will take that penalty for us. And not only do that, not only substituting himself in that way, but also then creating a way for us to have favor with God. That he took that wrath so that we didn't have to, so that we could be, have favor with God. We could be restored in a relationship with, with God again. The one that was broken by sin, now this, this, the Savior who would come, he would bear this wrath and he would bring us favor with God. But also in this passage, we see something important, because up to this point, you could say, well, what I've been saying is everybody has nothing to worry about, because we're all sinners, and he died for the propitiation of the whole world, so we're all good. So everybody in the world is saved, and everybody is going to heaven, and there are some people that would believe that. But the next verse tells us exactly the opposite. And as we look in 1 John, we also see in this passage, as we look at verse 15, who is it then that can accept and understand and receive this salvation. Well, in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 
Confession of Christ leads to salvation. So here's the deal. It's Christmas, and you guys hear a lot of talk about gifts, right? Jesus is a gift given to the world, given to anybody who wants to receive this gift. That is who Jesus, Jesus is, is that gift to us, to each and every one of you, to this whole world. And this gift is being presented to us that Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to take the wrath of God and to give us favor with God. And now what has to happen though, just like any other gift, you have to take it. And how do we take that gift? How do we take that salvation? How do we receive that gift that God is just wanting to give us and yet so many people don't want and turn their back on and say, I don't need that gift. I can do things on my own. It's that we confess Christ. Now confess Christ, it's a big word. Confess means to agree. That we agree with God that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is all we need, that we turn away from ourselves and we turn towards Him because if we truly agree that Jesus is the one to save us, it'll change everything about how we live. It'll change everything about how we believe. As this even talks about, we have come to know and believe in the love that God has for us, that we will believe with all our hearts because we will confess. If we agree, first of all, we have to believe it. This isn't just empty agreement. Oh yeah, sure, I guess I agree. No, this is, I agree deeply. I know that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the one that I need to give my life to. I believe in Him. I know Him. I want Him for my own. That is confessing Christ. And it's belief and it's repentance and it's all those things put in there. It's, con- it's confessing that not only who Jesus was, that he, was the, he is, was and is the Son of God, that he is and was the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. We believe all of that. We believe what he did, that he came to this earth as a baby, that he lived a life that was perfect without any sin so that he could pay for our sin by dying on the cross. And as he dies on the cross, he takes the wrath of God for us. He allows us to have favor with God. And we can now have access to God through Jesus because he didn't stay dead on the cross, but he rose again. He proved that sin and death had no power. And as he rises again, he's in heaven and he's waiting for us. And he's saying, look, I have defeated everything. Just confess Me, believe in me, turn to me. That is what Jesus is asking, and he's asking you this this morning. He's asking me, have we truly come to Jesus and confessed that we believe in him as Savior, that we believe in all that he did and all that he's going to do? Do we truly believe in Christ? Have we agreed in our hearts that he is God, that he is the Son of God that can save us from our sins, or are we still trying to live for ourselves? Those are the things we need to consider. We need to confess Christ. And that's a deep word there. It's agreeing to the point where everything changes. Do we agree that Christ is the one who saves? I want to look at one other passage, and it's in the book of Acts. One other passage, just to make sure that we drive this home one more time. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. As you get there, I'll give you some context. Context here is Peter and John uh, are at the temple. And as they're at the temple and they're, they're with Jewish people, they heal a cripple who had been crippled for his whole life. He's in his 40s. He's been crippled his whole life, and they're preaching in the temple. That's the context that we need to have here as we come to Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. 
Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, this is what we read. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What Peter says in Acts is he is preaching to the people at the temple who are giving him a hard time about the fact that he healed somebody, and he says it's through Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus, the one who would save, uh, the Christ, the Messiah, would be the one that they would crucify, and he is the one that salvation is found in. There is none other, and that's the point. Jesus is the only Savior. Peter affirms Jesus as the rejected Messiah in this passage, and he also confirms that Jesus is the only one who can save us from sin. Confessing Jesus is it. There are no other avenues. There's not ten ways to get to God. There's not all these, it's not through sincerity. It's not through good works. It's not through giving enough money. It's not through being nice enough to people. It's not through any of those things. None of our power, nobody else, no other religion, no other thought process, none of it. None of it will get us to God. None of, us, none of it will repair our relationship with God except Jesus Christ. He is the only one to deliver from sin. He is the only one who can save and if we, you are following something or someone else, then it's a, it's a lie. You're being trapped. You're, being, you're traveling down the wrong road because Jesus is the only way. Jesus himself said that in John. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14.6. 14, he is the only way to get to God. He is the only way to have a restored relationship with God because he is the Savior. There are no other saviors. He is the savior, not a savior. He is the savior. We all need to trust him, confess him, love him, and know him. So a couple questions. Well, really, one main question. Have you been saved from sin? Have you been delivered from sin? Because here's the truth. You and I All of us are sinners, and we need saving. We need it. It's not a want, a desire, a nice thought. No, it's a need. We need saving. We all have sin. We've walked away from God. We all need a Savior. Jesus came for us. Jesus came on that Christmas day to not just stay a baby, but to live a life in which he would end up dying and rising again for your sins and my sins And so we understand that we need saving and Jesus came to do it. So the question then becomes is have we accept that? Have we confessed our sin? And have we confessed our need for Christ as Savior? When we agree that we are a sinner and we need help. And when we agree that we need a Savior. And when we agree that Jesus is all we need. When we agree to that, that is where salvation comes from. Have you confessed your sin? Have you confessed your need for Christ? Have you confessed your belief in Him? And so the question really is, are you trusting in yourself or anything else? Or are you only trusting in Christ to save you? And I don't know where everybody is. Many of you I know have done this, and that is tremendous. Glory to God. 
You have accepted the Savior. You have confessed the Savior, and that is great. And I know that there might be some of you here who haven't. And I would strongly implore you, as Scripture tells over and over and over again, that you need saving. No one else can save you but Jesus. Come to him. Agree with that point. Start living for him. Start looking for him. Start loving him. Start uh, learning more about him. And you will see he will transform your life. He won't make everything perfect. He won't make everything comfortable. But what he will do is you have the very God of creation walking by your side through all of it. And I would strongly implore you this morning, trust in Jesus. Stop trusting in anything or anyone else.